This episode of The Cutting Room is sponsored by Funko Press, publishers of Make the Cut, written by Laurie Jane Coleman, ACE, and Diana Freeberg, ACE. This book guides you through the ins and outs of establishing yourself as a respected film and video editor. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This week, I discuss the editing of The Wrestler with Andrew Wiseman. Remember, if you want to hear more than just the topic of editing, you can always check out the Movie Morons podcast, where they discuss movies such as The Wrestler. Check out www.moviemorons.com. Now, this week, Andrew and I discuss his work on The Wrestler. This interview takes place in New York during EditFest 2010. We pick up the interview just after our discussion about the Jarjeeling Limited. I'd like to jump to The Wrestler. Yeah, sure. Were you ever were you a fan of wrestling before? No, not at all. Not at all? I mean, I knew... I. I grew up when when you know Hulk Hogan mattered, I guess, yeah. and there was so there was definitely a peak point where there were like Hulk Hogan and who I don't know who else was involved in the, that who else was big at the time, but there was I knew about it peripherally, you know WrestleMania and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I was never a big wrestling fan. I was just as a I was I was around it as a young yeah. guy, but it didn't really mean anything to me. I don't know whether Darren was really a huge wrestling fan at the time either, but the movie isn't that much about wrestling per se. It's just about this certain fleeting celebrity that happens to those people. and It's about any kind of athlete, Mm -hmm. truthfully, which is what they are. I mean, even, even if it's fake. No, it's still athleticism, it's still, and it still takes the same kind of physical tolls. So. Yeah. Well, I would say even more in some yes. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just brutal. There's yeah. no respect, so. Because they used actual wrestlers for a yeah, lot of Yeah, we had stuff. a lot of actual wrestlers. We had a lot of actual improv, and it was very, it was very intimate with that whole world and those people. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that made its way into the movie, and it's fascinating stuff. To see that stuff and see those people. Now, was it hard to? Because they're not, t- um, you know, classically trained actors. They're they're coming into this as athletes. They're not classically trained actors, but they're performers. Yeah. So in some ways, that was perfect, because all they do is put on a show for people all the time. They're comfortable in front of, you know, s- selling themselves to hundreds of people all the time, and performing for those people. So that acting was no stretch for them. And we were asking them to perform in the world that they are already in. Just do what you do, you know, and that they weren't inhibited at all. Mm-hmm. It, the vibe was set up for that. Our DP, Marie Salverti, who is a documentary DP, is kind of expert at integrating herself into whatever environment it is without being obtrusive and, and shooting it as naturalistically as possible. And I would spend some time on set in those situations, particularly with a lot of improv, with Darren and her trying to make sure that we covered what we needed, but just to kind of go through a checklist together, not yeah. not anything else. But other than that, it was it was pretty easy to be unobtrusive in those situations and really just document them. The first half of the film, or at least the first 20 minutes, feels very documentary, mm-hmm. almost cinema verite. Mm-hmm. Did you approach your cut that way? The footage was already approached that way, mm-hmm. so I didn't really have to. There was plenty of improvisation and things that were just happy accidents or moments that Darren thought might be useful or interesting, mm-hmm. or places that Mickey went that were related to his understanding of the character that were improvised that were always kind of available to me and a lot of choices to make. but. I always thought of it in terms of story and character and 
thinking, and I, I just wanted to make sure that the film was always flowing narratively and was always clear in terms of mm -hmm. character. And if the improvisation or the things didn't address that correctly and were really outside of that, then they knew that ultimately, sooner or later, they weren't going to have a place in the movie, so they didn't focus on it. It was just about finding how we take those moments and those real-life moments and use them to color the character or tell mm -hmm. the story. And in terms of how stuff was shot in a documentary style, mm -hmm. sometimes just you know one camera just rolling through him getting ready for a match. I kind of would look at that footage, which would be long, long 10-minute yeah. rolls and stretches and things, and say, okay, we've, seen, we've all seen jump cuts before, yeah. and they're usually for emphasis. But what if you think about it in terms of coverage? So if you were going to cover the sequence of events of Mickey getting ready for a match, mm -hmm. what shots would you get? You'd get a shot of him taping his foot, and then you get a shot of him taping his arm, and then you get a shot of him putting the pad on. So I just took those episodes, and every time there was a beat or a long stretch of something being done, what tells the story best of him going through this activity? And just use those pieces, and just boil it down to those pieces, or anything he does that rhythmically works inside that. So just treat, even if it isn't coverage, treat it like coverage when you, when you jump cut. So it isn't just about cutting to jar you, it's cutting to just illustrate what's happening. Yeah, or prepare him for battle. Right, exactly. And just, you just editorialize what that footage is. Same with the deli scene, same with all that yeah. stuff. It was just, how would that, if it was really coverage in different angles, mm -hmm. what would be the story that each one of those shots tell, would tell? And, you know, what, here's a piece of him preparing meat, here's a piece of him... Presenting, <laughs> selling it, yeah. and then that's how you how you break it down. Yeah. Um, so that none of it feels um, luxuriated or or redundant or just sitting there. It's all narrative or character. Now I felt that the character make that Mickey plays. It's mm -hmm. essentially he's trying to hold on to his past. Yeah, and that's certainly or recapture yeah, it. Recapture yeah. it. So, was there anything you had to do in post to help? enhance that or restructure that? Well, there was always a question of, is this character sympathetic, I guess, is, mm -hmm. is maybe strong, but it, it, he's a pretty horrible person if you kind of analyze his behaviors and his actions and what he's done. But you have to kind of, something that's always important for a lot of filmmakers and for Darren specifically is how to play out the scenes and the story from their point of view and as subjectively mm -hmm. as possible. and how do you align yourself as closely as possible with their point of view and the information as it's important to them. And that, in terms of editing, there were a lot of things that Mickey would explore improvisationally that were about him getting into the skin of the character or about him finding things about his own life that he could relate to with the character that helps him get in. But they're not telling the story and they're not necessarily ultimately they're not relevant. They're about the process of arriving whatever that moment is or whatever that thing is. And just because it's, it might be captivating to watch, it might not, it's not appropriate to the body of the movie. There were things that we took out of the movie that we felt we didn't need because they ultimately raised questions about the characters that you didn't necessarily want to have. You wanted to just think about their points of view. As an example, the daughter character. The daughter character originally in the script 
and as shot had much more of a setup and was established early on in the movie and we meet her early on in the movie and there was a construct in the script where at that first match where he gets presented with the idea of uh, doing the big rematch with mm -hmm. the Ayatollah at the beginning of it his daughter comes to visit him and the reason she's coming to visit him is that she's in AA and she's in this 12-step program and she's come to make amends and he's excited to see her but then all these fans come in and interject and then she immediately gets mad at him because he's not paying attention and they have a fight and she leaves and I thought at the time and immediately suggested to Darren you know it's not that this scene is bad but what does it do for us and to tell the audience he has a daughter that he's a jerk to why is that a benefit? You know, it doesn't help our narrative. It doesn't help our character. It doesn't help us relate to a character. It distances us from the character. And does it really make sense to have the daughter approach him first? It would seem my understanding of the relationship is that there's been a lot of damage. And what we want people to think is that there's a lot of blown opportunities between them and we want people to take their own impressions of what bad parenting is and apply it to it and let of, instead of what we tell them that it's a relationship that has failed mm -hmm. and why would she come to him mm -hmm. it's a relation she shut the door yeah and we want him to go through an experience where he gets desperate enough that he might try to risk opening it again and as soon as he does she barks at him mm -hmm. And it's a character that we have come to like yeah. and sympathize with that point, so we feel the way he feels about it. When Marissa Tomei brings up the daughter character, it's not information that you have yet, but it shouldn't be that surprising that in somewhere in this guy's backstory and his celebrity and his life or whatever, he fathered a child that he doesn't have a relationship with anymore. Because if you look at what happens in his life and how he lives his life, how could he be a father? Yeah. You know, when we arrived at that, we thought that was way more interesting to kind of examine what presumptions you make or don't make about the characters and their relationships and how that would make things more sympathetic. So that was one thing that we took out and things of their relationship that then found their way in later. I mean, the daughter's just buried in a shoebox under his bed and that makes a lot yeah. more sense than the daughter opening up and closing the door and then torturing each other. Yeah. It also sets up uh, the wrestling community as his only family. That's his, that's exactly right. There's Randy in the wrestling community, and then there's Robin, yeah. the the father, you know, or the person. And there's always that push and pull, but he's two different people. Mm -hmm. um, he can't be both. So you know, that's a choice that he makes or is made for him once the daughter finally rejects mm -hmm. him. There were other things that the character did that maybe were a little... Um, we said we would say it's smarmy was the word we use. It's just like there's just behavior that's not particularly useful to us. That we we know he's probably done some questionable or dark things, and you know in light of where he is in the world that he's in, it's probably not so bad. And why not just focus on the fact that his heart's in the right place? Mm -hmm. You know, so that that was we approached his sympathy. And, and the character and aligning herself with the character and his choices at the end on his point of view. And as long as you are very clear about his subjective point of view and relate it to the audience and give people the right information in terms of that, you don't confuse the issue. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's better to simplify some of those things. So not, a, not that the performances aren't complicated in their own right and there's textures there, but just trying to simplify what tracks about what's happening to the character and where they're going. 
how did you approach cutting the the actual wrestling scenes? Was there well, that, there was no storyboarding that went on in the movie, but what the matches were pretty meticulously choreographed, being you know for safety and for other things and figuring out what Mickey could or couldn't do. He could pretty much do everything. He did yeah. do everything. There were some wide shots where we had doubles and things. So, the, but that was actually part of the technical approach to getting the scenes done in a day. Because what we did in most of those matches is we shot wrestling events that we shot at that were pre-existing where we created our own wrestling events and, and invited people to them and told them that they might be filmed on a film yeah. and that they were part of an audience and explained it to them there. And then our, our camera operator, Peter, would get in the ring with them and shoot it. We had the match. I, I, I was uh, tapped into a live and had an avid there. And basically, when we do the first take, we'd follow Mickey out there and they would start the match and he would go three or four moves or as many moves as he could actually go mm -hmm. and then we'd cut and then while we were Mickey was getting a rest we would then with two wide cameras shoot the full match again with a double while Darren and I and Maurice would look at how far we had gotten and where we need to pick it up to make the best cut and then pick it or if we needed to redo Further, from further back if there was something that went awry. And we just basically kind of built the match A to B to C that way and knew that we had those wide shots that we would be getting in between the takes to kind of fill it out if, if something didn't work. That was really the approach to those sequences. And it, it, there was pressure but excitement to kind of edit it on the moment and yeah. make sure everything kind of worked as a cut and then if there were some little pickups, we got them. Mm -hmm. with, the, with the heart attack match, that was that was definitely something at the very end. We went back and picked up some other little details to kind of place the right emphasis because that was one that was shot in an existing CCW match where there was limited control over what was going to happen or not happen on the day. Nothing went really wrong, but yeah. we just didn't have the time to sit down and say, okay, we have to focus on this moment to pace it out correctly, and it just wasn't there. So when you guys shot those, something like the, the Necro Butcher guy, the guy yeah. who likes to... Yeah, that match. Did yeah. he actually staple himself for that? Because I know he does that live. Like yes. He does that, yeah. But in the film, was it staged? Yeah, that's real. He's really, he's really <laughs> doing that. Most of what you're seeing in that is real. And a lot of people responded to it. Not a lot, but there were people who responded to it as being exaggerated or graphic. And what we kind of mm -hmm. said to them is... Well, you know, we went to a couple CG matches, CZW yeah. matches in pre-production. We can tell you this is some of the tamer stuff. I was going to say, it's probably, when I looked him up, because I was like, well, this guy, I know this guy's real. I mean, they tamed him down. No, <laughs> we did. And we talked about, do we pull this back? Mm -hmm. And then that's not, that doesn't reflect the reality of what's going on. It's nonsense. I mean, for these guys to make a living as wrestlers who are not in, you know, World Wrestling Federation, whatever, mm -hmm. this is the stuff that pays the most cash because it, frankly, draws the biggest audience. Yeah. By far, of any of the matches we went to, is this, this hardcore stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like gladiator stuff, but there were, like, families and kids at these events, and which just floored us when we <laughs> watched it. You know, it's just like, how can this be a family event? But mm -hmm. it is for people, and I don't understand it. But that's fine. That's the, I'm not judging it. That's their entertainment. But people who have no familiarity look at it and say, oh, you guys are just being extreme or Darren's just being gory or something. And, and we would say, no, not, not at all, actually. This is 
that's what this guy does for a living. Mm -hmm. And that's, if Randy the Ram was real, this is what he would do to get enough cash to pay for his rent and his trailer home. Yeah. You know, he would do this stuff. So, you know, we felt pretty strongly that it had to be no punches pulled on it. Now, how did you go about structuring the relationship between Marissa and Mickey? Because it's a very important element to the story in paralleling. We had to look for the parallels. And basically, we, the movie is called The Wrestler, not The Stripper. Mm -hmm. So there were certain other bits of information with Marissa where she was, as a character, was alone. But it, we had to consider her material and structure it, restructure it a little bit so that basically if it wasn't directly related to either their relationship or a parallel directly drawn with what was what he does as the wrestler or his life, then it didn't have a place. So that exactly the way you described it was kind of our criteria for it and how we structured it. That just meant a little reordering and a little bit of deletion, but it wasn't it wasn't a huge. I mean, obviously it was a big part of the screenplay. Yeah. It was already there, but we uncomplicated her character just a little bit, kind of to think that. There was, I think, I think in the script, it tried to suggest pretty clearly it was more about will she or won't she break her rule and get together with him. And we kind of felt like, well, this isn't a movie about, this isn't a romance. Mm -hmm. This isn't about that. The romance story is really the Mickey and the daughter in a yeah. way. Uh, will she or won't she accept him? That's love. This is, this is something else a little bit different. There's a mentoring there, there's a camaraderie there, but it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more about will they make this choice together to get out of this is kind of what we felt was more important. More important. It wasn't about, he was making connection with somebody yeah. and that that was the tension was whether that was gonna be possible because he, she had made choices to protect her family and what she did and he had not. And her being with him would... Jeopardize. Exactly, yeah. exactly, which is a choice that she would never make. And he understood that, it just, you know, it just wasn't what he wanted. So it, that, was, that was complicated, but it was always about, it was a tricky character, because it was always about that relationship, that, the, the parallels, mm -hmm. and, and always setting that context up for her so that it didn't feel like just another story to make it interesting. I have uh, one question I like to ask all the editors, and that's, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film? Oh, God, what's my favorite <laughs> guilty pleasure film? Well, I'm a big De Palma fan, actually. I like De Palma movies oh, yeah. a lot. Because, so I don't know if there's a, there's a specific film, but I always end up going back and watching them just for their, their craft and ingenuity. And, and, you know, it's kind of empty stuff, but it's a lot of fun to look at. Mm -hmm. for what, what was done. And also part of that, I think, is just um, having one of the first editors that I had worked with was Bill Penko, who's cut a lot of Brian's films. Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to assist on a couple of them. And just coming, it's a school I came from in a way that I learned, I learned kind of whatever approaches he had on his films with Brian have always kind of been exciting to me about thinking, just thinking about point of view and different experiments in cinema. And craft that's just don't always work but they're always brave and bold and kind of out there and and embrace their own melodrama you know in a way that's yeah. kind of fun for me to watch sometimes it makes me laugh out loud sometimes it totally carries me away so I could always watch it you know they're not bad movies they're no. beautifully crafted but I guilty pleasure so that may be wrong but <laughs> but I I could really the real answer to that is that I could watch 
all I could I could be just as entertained watching a terrible movie at home just marveling at the train wreck that's going on and still get totally engrossed in it and not think about I rarely think about editing when I'm watching a movie or anything mm -hmm. like that. I just I just enjoy the experience. It's you know, it's it doesn't always relate back to how I'm editing something or working on something. I don't think about it that way. Right. Well, thank you very much for letting me interview. Sure, sure, sure. Well, that's our show. I'd like to thank Andrew for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Jenny McCormick, Manhattan Edit Workshop, and my producer, Lauren Woodcock. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.